Well, nah, here we go. Now, all right, here we go. Episode 66 of the Racing Line podcast. Big episode this week, boys. Joined by Harry, Joe, and welcome back to Tristan. First time on the pod in a, in a minute. Um, but good to have you back to talk about uh, the Bathurst 12-hour this week. Um, we'll also talk about the um, current developments in Formula One and what that means for the sport moving forward. But there's only one place to start, boys. There's only one place to start, and that's the Bathurst 12-hour. And it might not have the prestige of the Bathurst 1000 or the glitz and glamour of the F1 you know, in Melbourne. But in my heart, this might be Australia's greatest race right now. Anthony's real yeah. love story. <laughs> I've got to say, for a first pro sort of Bathurst one, uh, Bathurst twelve hour since COVID, I was a little bit skeptical, like deep, deep down in the recesses of my heart. But those those sort of um, cynicisms and and that fear was very quickly washed away. And uh, before we sort of, what, of Joe? oh, just sort That's of being fearful of. D- disappointed of it being somewhat sort of lukewarm. Mm. Um, but very quickly I realized, yeah, we're going to have no problem here. And I just want to say, like, I want to start off with the best part. I never thought that four and a half hours of green flag running could end a race so intensely. And um, like realistically, I always think you need a, a safety car at the end of a Bathurst race to sort of bring you to the edge of your seat. But that race, I don't know how the race gods manufactured that ending, but that was something I've probably never witnessed before. And to have three cars finish within a second after a 12-hour race and that long of green running is, I think only the almighty can answer that question for us. That was the best way to end such a fucking awesome race. I was surprised. So for you then, since I am the almighty. But no, actually, I had two things, Joe. Number one, that might be the longest green flag running at Bathurst since the introduction of safety cars in any category. And number two, they almost did a thousand kilometers to end that race. Green, green running. Yeah. yeah. No, I um, I wholeheartedly agree, and and uh, I didn't get a chance to say it before, but thanks for having me on again. Um, it's good to chat with you guys, especially about the twelve hour, because I did watch it and. I was pretty, um, I mean, there was a couple of boring bits throughout the middle part of the race. It sort of like lulled out a little bit, but like you say, it did build up to quite a big finish. Um, having those two Mercs go head to head, head to head, and then having um, Gunon and Matt Campbell, you know, go head to head for the last probably half an hour of the race. Um, I want to say what a drive from Gunon. I, I don't know too much about him, obviously, being a European driver, but to be able to last basically, I think it was about two and a half hours on those tyres against, you know, that portion at Merck that had new tyres on was, was just unbelievable. So it was, it was really a culmination of like so many like little interesting things that. Um, for those last four hours, you sort of just left guessing. Like there was that whole alternate strategy with the Sun Energy One car. Congrats on them back-to-back winning the race. You know, that's a, a great feat in really what was probably the only Pro-Am car of that Pro, you know, grid. Um, yeah, especially with um, Kenny, uh, Kenny you know, Kenny in there. Like for him to step up and, and basically put his license as Pro to race with those boys was in it's my gutsy. opinion, pretty spectacular and pretty, yeah, like you say, gutsy because that now opens him up to having to race against the pros for basically the remainder of his career or, or however long he wants to race for. So it's a pretty gutsy move, but he's a Bathurst 12-hour champion because of it. So well, I think that's 12-hour champion. That's one mm-hmm. thing he really wanted. Like he speaks a lot about, you know, uh, going to the mountain and working under Brock in Brock's team. Um, you know, he's bought real estate on the mountain. Mm-hmm. And I think ever since it's been an intercontinental round, he's never he's never missed a race. You know, there's, right? there's word, yeah, there's word that next year he's gonna bring willpower down and to race in the Sun Energy AMG as well, which is which will be awesome. Mm. But like I always talk about, you know, um Australian sort of 
creating these stories in motorsport. And this really is someone sort of, you know, putting his big boy pants on and um, saying, you know what, I'm going to have a crack. And yeah, the, the strategy really needed to be alternate. You know, they had to really sort of use that, those, those early, um, you know, uh, what are they safety car periods, mm. put him in the car for those times as, as much as possible. And then realistically that they had the pace to be thereabouts, you know, there was a little bit of for, um, sort of fortuitousness with angle sort of diving down at the, um, at the end of the chase and getting that drive through. Uh, cause I, I think that, 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 um, group M AMG was, it, it honestly felt like Chaz in the, um, walk and draw, the, like yeah. two years ago, like they, 2021 just, Bathurst. they had, they had unlocked something that none of the cars could really rival. Mm. Um, and then even at the end, I thought, okay, the Merc, it's going to be a sort of a Merc off, but um, Matt Campbell in that Porsche, it was what, probably what, an hour of nearly qualifying laps, you know, like the intensity yeah, well, was, was so he high. To. He had to, and, and you know, he nearly wrote the car off trying on quite a few occasions because he was just pushing so hard. And, and that's... Well, that's Shane Van Gisberg and spec, you know, what we saw in, I think it was 2016 in the Bathurst 12 hour where Shane passed that car on the grass basically. And and it's just like yeah. when it'll be in it. And that's, I honestly think that's the only level of driving that Matt could do to be able to win that race because they were severely underpowered on that straight. Um, you know, and, and you got to take your hat off to the guys that won. I, I was sitting there beating myself up trying to think, a, how they got in the lead, having four extra pit stops than anyone. Um, and then B, how they're there at the end of the race when mathematically it just doesn't seem possible. Like they're giving up almost two minutes in extra time in, in just transit alone in the pit lane. So somehow they've come out and, and just managed their strategy to absolute perfection to be able to come out on, you know, in front and uh, be the car to pass, I guess, during crunch time. So... What- what do you guys think about the whole, you know, how it's a, it's a sort of a, it's a very different sort of pit stop strategy that you have to run in that race compared to a normal Bathurst 1000 in terms of you have to refuel the car first and then do everything after that. Mm. So you really are you, uh, like sort of sacrificing uh, fuel uh, for time has a much bigger sort of trade-off. Mm. Uh, and then also even like sacrificing getting- fresh tires for time. Well, you sacrifice, yeah, pretty but you much. Can, you can, but you can even, but you could sacrifice fuel, and then if your car can 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 make fuel, you'll you'll get a, a couple seconds advantage. So there's a really big trade off. I found that probably the most mm. fascinating. Like it's, it is one of the most fascinating parts of it because you can sort of see uh, real differences in the in the in the pit stops by like seconds when the Porsche comes in and their and their pit stops were so. So were fast. so good and they were so fast and you see on average like eight seconds uh it's still faster than anyone yeah. else and that's it's amazing like you consider where they were at the end of the race and all that time adds up like i think um, it was like but, yeah sorry you go h that's all right uh, sorry i think it was one of the most interesting parts of it for me was sounded like where, h we all look the same yeah yeah where the people enough. were um were making up their time it was like someone said it in the commentary but Obviously, you had the Audi that was the fastest around the top. You had the Mercedes that was the fastest up and down the hill. Mm. And then you had Porsche that was there or thereabouts. They, were not, they weren't the fastest anywhere, but they were kind of just, they were good. And but even like the being, BMW at stages were in, in the cooler temperatures, mm, it was, it was mm, there. And I was mm, like, here we go. Mm, and then by the end of the race, it just didn't have the legs. But it was just, it was just such a, like the... Without having the safety car and, and the bunching up, I think there was still enough intrigue purely based on people trying to keep the powder dry, not giving away too much, kind of for the most part playing a pretty safe game with the exception of Sun Energy. One thing that they do have to get quite a lot of credit for, I think, if you're Sun Energy, is when they did have all those pit stops early on, no one could have assumed that there was going to be such a long um, section mm. running towards the running end of the green, race yeah. that was green. But to their credit, they got Kenny in the car, did as you know, got his driving time you know done as as quickly as possible. Because if they had of been a little bit more traditional with how they you know how these teams tend to space out their driving, then he would have had to go in the car late again, and that probably wouldn't have given them the win. So the fact that they were you know um, proactive enough 
to bring the car in more often whenever there was a safety car, to get Kenny in the car, you know, whenever there was that safety car, because even safety car is driving time, um, gave the other two, and kudos has to go to them because they did, what, eight hours by themselves to finish the to finish the race. So kudos has to go to them for, to Stoltz and Gunon for how they, you know, finished the race and the stamina that they displayed. But, um, but the, the intricacy and the strategy throughout the race was, was awesome. And, and the reality is with the pace that the Mercedes displayed on Saturday um, and just their, you know, their Bathurst, you, you make passes up and down the chutes and no one was going to really take it to them into the braking zones purely based on the top speeds that they were able to, to generate. So it was an awesome race, really awesome. One, one thing as well that I think was a stroke of genius was um, – Kenny said, Kenny Habul said, I want to win the race outright. Mm. And the reason they went to pro was because you have a lot more flexibility with your driver time doing, you know, going down that um, sort of uh, rabbit hole. Mm. And then you look at sort of what actually happened behind them. So, so with, when you, with Pro-Am, you have to actually put a Pro-Am in the car for an hour in the last hour of the race. Mm. Nice picture, nice picture, Tristan. I like that. Um, <laughs> whereas, and then you even see like with the silver cup cars, like, uh, Chaz's Audi was pretty close to the front runners um, in that first half of the race, but then with such an extended green flag running, um, and then how they sort of get stuck, where they got stuck mm. behind this this uh, the safety car and then released, uh, they didn't really, they would never have stood a chance. Mm. So like that was that was a decision that they made before the race had even started. That then in retrospect it probably altered the total trajectory of that race for them. Well, the minimum um, driving time for a pro is much less than the minimum driving time for the M in a pro M team. Yeah, but also the M has to do an hour in the second half of the race, yeah. which would have totally screwed them. Mm. But for the, is it the Sun, what do you, the Sun Super, wasn't it, that one? Sun Energy. Sun Energy. Sun Energy, yeah. So for them to have navigated that strategy, all the drivers, the pit crew, the engineers, pretty much everybody involved in that, that whole entire outfit had to be pretty much 100% on board with the strategy. Mm. I think from, from the get-go, they had devised this pretty crazy strategy to, to go after some of those um, probably more powered cars to be able to be in the lead at the end of the race. And I think, uh, I think it might have been Chad Nalen during the commentary who said that you know, they have to be pretty much simpatico with each other. Um, they have to understand what's, you know, uh, at stake. They have to understand, you know, that if if their strategy doesn't work, it's a massive risk. It's a big gamble. But if it does work, it'll pay off. Mm. And it's like I said, like, you're trying to get those three drivers, all the engineers, the mechanics, et cetera, et cetera, on board with a strategy that ludicrous is just insane. And the fact that they pulled that off and were able to win the race... You know, it, it just highlights how far, I guess, ahead these European teams are in in retrospect to our Australian teams. You know, I think Triple um, Eight were the closest Australian team to really give it to them. And, and to be completely honest, I thought they were pretty underperforming all weekend, um, so apart from maybe Brock, Brock Feeney's lap in, in qualifying. Um, they were pretty quick early on in the race, but other than that, I think something must have happened and, and they lost a lot of speed. So they made a few rookie mistakes towards the end. Oh, mm. I say that with, you know, quotations because they're not rookies, but they made a few mistakes towards the end of the race that um, you wouldn't expect a team like that to make. Mm. Um, and they probably were, were expecting a, um, a safety a car at some point. A safety yeah. car towards the end of the race, which would, would which would be understandable. But I think one thing as well while you're we watching it was due to the fact that the grid was smaller, once you had those accidents at the start of the race, there was the end like there ends up being a lot more space to sort of run your own race, find some clean air, and just pump mm. out some some killer laps. Um and I think by that time, like a lot of a lot of the battles. Uh, in the sort of midfield, like for the Pro-Am and for the Silver Cup, somewhat got um, easier as, you know, those crashes came to place. Like there was one stage when the um, international racing Audi, you know, kudos to them as well. You know, I like when international teams come in and win a class. My gosh. I'm happy, <laughs> yeah. So I'm happy that the um, the Kiwis got that uh, Silver Cup 
win, mm. but like they were, they were a couple laps ahead. So you would expect that they would have just been like in that category, sort of just cruising, hitting numbers and make sure they, they didn't, you know, ruin it for themselves. Um, so I think that also made it a little bit more, uh, I don't know, you wouldn't use the word chill, but there just was more like more space for everyone to sort of hit their own rhythm. And oh, I sure. think that lends itself to not having a, also when a safety car. Cars, there was a period when they were dropping like flies. There were a lot of cars that were in the walls in a very short succession. I think it also makes everyone just kind of chill out because there was a very high attrition rate at, at you know, early stage in the race. But two points that kind of just came into my mind that I did want to raise. Number one, and it kind of is, you know, uh, taken from what Tristan was saying before. I think what we saw, you know, Triple Eight is a supercars team that runs Mercedes. And when the probably the debatably the the strongest Mercedes, you know, team in Europe came down to Bathurst, I think we saw a little bit of a difference in just um, performance. And that's probably understandable just based on, you know, a CODIS, you know, their bread and butter is GT racing. Their bread and butter is the Mercedes AMG and, and, you know, as professional as, as triple eight are, um, really they run four races a year or six races a year. They're all one hour races, mm. the Mercedes and the rest of the supercar. So they're just probably just not as in tune setting the car up as, as a CODIS and, and obviously the drivers themselves, their drivers as, as talented as they are and SVGs is as talented as they come. Um, he just doesn't drive, drive that car nearly as much as the other blokes. Mm. That was the first point that I thought was understandable. And the second one that, you know, just coming back to the, to the Sun Energy guys and Kenny Hubble and something that probably hasn't been appreciated enough, so I just wanted to raise it. You know, when we've got these guys that are driving, you know, three guys in one car, you know, they're setting the car up for, you know, so that it's suitable for all three drivers. Now, in a pro car, if the car isn't perfectly suited to any of those drivers, you know, they're professional enough, experienced enough to drive around the problem just purely based mm. on the amount of hours that they are kind of doing the car. But I think kudos has to go to that team also because they set that car up so that three drivers could drive it, one of them being an M, right? So it's going to obviously be a little bit more uh, stable, a little bit less uh, aggressive more safe. than the other pro cars that were in the in the category and they were still able to make it work. So the fact that they were able to tailor the car so that it was suitable for an AM driver and still show the performance that they did, um, you know, a lot of a lot of kudos has to go to them. And you know, yeah. obviously they're the best team in Europe, the Acotus um group. Um and I think it really showed um, because you know they did an impeccable job. Uh, I agree. I, I on I wanted to add to that because Dave Reynolds made an interesting point during their um, commentary. He said that I'd rather know the car than the track, and mm. I mean that echoed through me because I hundred percent agree. It's it, it's I mean maybe with the exception of a Bathurst or a, a Norchcliff, but you know hundred percent you want to know the the car because then you're capable of knowing what it can do, what it can't do. Um, the limitations of that and you got these german drivers and, and the italians who jump in this car who pretty much live in it you know they might as well pay rent in that driver's seat mm-hmm. um and you get out like you say some of our guys who just jump in it for a bit of fun or, or possibly a chance to win the bathurst 12 hour and and like you say they might have only done a day or two testing throughout the year in that car if they're lucky you know i, I don't think Chaz had any running time in that audi before he jumped in that this year um, apart from maybe some of the GT stuff he did earlier on uh, either last year or the year before. And you got guys like Gizzy and, and Brock who occasionally jump in that car just because they've got free time or they can or whatever. But like you say, their bread and butter is driving a supercar, you know, V8 powered, you know, running on Dunlops, which is a completely different bag of frogs compared to those, you know, Pirelli super softs or, you know, these soft slick tires that they're running on. It's a completely different ball game, and you like you say, also, you got these turbos, you got um, the ABS and stability control, and you don't have to change gears. There's just so many different variables that you've got to consider when you're driving a GT car versus a supercar. So, you know, it, it, and and like I said, it, it did highlight a few issues for AAA and um, some of our Aussie run teams, uh, but I think that you know that'll only ever push them harder and make them a better team because they'll get to learn from those mistakes, what went wrong at the 12 hour. And I'll bring that to supercars and, 
you know, be bigger and better for it. You can also imagine how different it is running that AM, or let's say the AMG with brand new Pirellis mm. on a fuel tank, on, on a full tank, and then, you know, pretty decent ones on an empty tank. And then mm. you, you fill it up again with the same tires. And then two and a half hours later, you're empty again, but on totally, you know, worn tires. So there is a massive learning curve that they're never going to touch. I think a few honorable mentions from the race I want to sort of shout out. Number one, I think when when the um, sports bet Audi, Chaz's Audi with um, Liam Talbot and um, Fraser, Fraser Ross, Ross. Went, went a lap down um, after Each their time in the race. Yeah, early on in the race. <laughs> um, Chaz was ringing that thing like an absolute demon. Uh, and, and I know you said our boys don't, you know, they just don't have that seat time in the cars. You would not have known that Chaz did not have seat time in that car because he was, it was probably a lot more him, you know, making up for the lack thereof, but Mm. that car was that stage was on rails and it was it, at the time it looked like the fastest car. You well, know, I think on the track. they did the fastest lap of the race, yeah. didn't they? Yeah. That car. Yeah. And and that's pretty, pretty amazing for a pro-am car. I know they're pretty much the same spec, but, you know, completely different levels of driver talent. You've got three pros basically sharing a car in those Mercs and that Porsche and, and, and the BMWs, but you got one pro basically leading the way in that car that on multiple occasions put them back within contention in that race and got them back on the lead lap. You know, I think you got to take your hat off to what Chaz was able to accomplish, but also got to applaud what the other two boys were able to do because like, like we make no, you know, no um, disregard on it that they're amateur drivers racing against some of the best drivers in the world. So. And, and, and they had, they had a, they had a mission, you know, that they had to win Pro-Am and they did it. So yep, you sort exactly. of, you, you raced your conditions. You don't correct. need to come, you know, fourth overall if you're going to get the same trophy. Yeah, um, I think also Brock Feeney's uh, mm. pole, uh, what is it called? Top 10, sh- their version of well, the top 10 shootout. Well, he's qualifying lap and then he's pole. Yeah. He's a top 10 shootout lap, yeah. You know, um, to break the lap, the the, the the qualifying record at the mountain and only be bested by Mara Engel by, <laughs> you know, a hair. Mm. What, what, an, what an absolute um, blinding uh, performance. I also wanted to shout out the um, friends of the pod, the Valmont car. Yeah. Um, How good terrible. is that livery? Was that uh, Aaron Cameron's one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that was an for, awesome looking livery. So for that car to get into the top 10 shootout, mm. silver car, you know, um, I two thought years was in a like, row. Yeah, two years in a row. But like this year, I thought hadn't like realistically no uh, shouldn't have been there. Like mm. if you looked at looked at it on paper. So for them boys to sort of wrestle that in and get that into the top ten shootout, awesome effort by them. Um, the race didn't pan out how I know a lot of them mm. um, wanted it to go. But for the what is it three and a half to four hours that they were in it. You know, they showed really, you know, they were at the top of their field and they showed really good pace. Mm. Um, so I hope that doesn't disharden them from having another crack next year. Um, and then my last shout out was the international motorsport team from um, from uh, New Zealand. Because I love when international teams come in. Oh, actually, sorry. I love the team who rocked up with the KTM Expo. Yeah, and, and, the Audi. And finished the race in the Audi R8. Mm. You know, that is... That is the um, that's cool. Probably the story of the weekend, especially to finish it after you, um, you know, you do all your practice and everything in a different car. Uh, you good know, good on good on awesome supercars as well for having a bit of leniency, mm. realizing the situation, also realizing that they're probably in a position where that the more cars the better, with the grid still not being especially after last capacity, year, the yeah. capacity it used to be. Um, and and they got they got a you know they went race they you know they said they were going to come to race uh, they put a lot of money into running the KTM it didn't work out mm-hmm. and, and good on them for for you know allowing us well. to it it was a bit of a shame because I had to drop uh, Juice you know Jaden yeah, yeah, but yeah. you know I think Jaden understands that you know like you say these boys are there to go racing and and because of his license structure he's no longer eligible to drive that car in that class so. Um, you know, it was a shame to not see the juice on the track, but it was also really cool to see that car or that team, I should say, at least 
able to operate. Um, what I was going to jump in and say was my my take from the weekend, um, despite everything that happened, and there was a lot that happened, but how impressed I was with Brock Feeney, and I've always been a big fan of Brock. Um, I was really happy that Triple Eight sort of threw a lot of their eggs into his basket because um, to me that that's quite reminiscent of what they're expecting this season in supercars to be. You know, I'm, 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 I'm almost confident that they're expecting him to go out and start contending for race wins, uh, consecutive podiums, you know, pole positions and et cetera, et cetera, and put a really good championship campaign together. Um, I saw that he's got a lot of that potential on the weekend. He was definitely their guy. Um, and they had some bloody good drivers in that team. To think that he was lined up to finish the race for them mm. in that double stint, you know, at the end of the race showed how much uh, faith in his pace that they had, you know, because especially with Giza, you would you would never really think that he would be playing sort of third fiddle in that team, mm. um, which which he ended up sort of sort of doing. Um, and I can't remember um, the the other driver in that. So just, did anyone uh, else think that Giza was a little bit underwhelming this week? Just. In general, I think they I took the expectation off him, and they put, I put, I think they put the saddle on on Brock's back. To be completely honest, and they just said to Shane, "Just go and do your thing, do whatever." But I honestly saw that they they made Brock step up this week mm. as a result of maybe maybe him underperforming in some ways last season. You know, I know he stuck onto the podium, and and he got that last win in supercars for the Holden, which is something that was unbelievable because that was all him. But to me, I thought this weekend was about, all right, let's let's see what this kid can do. We're going to put the world on his shoulders and see if he can handle it because this year he's going to have a lot thrown at him. And that's personally why I saw Shane playing, you know, I guess you say second or third fiddle to to the team because I think they said to him, like, step back and we want to see what this kid can do. Another honourable mention I think we have to talk about this week was the other Triple Eight car. Just fell. <laughs> um, with um, Richie Stanaway, mate. Mm. Keeps impressing. Every time he gets back in the car, keeps on impressing, keeps on doing what he needs to do to, to turn heads. Um, mm. And I think the, the Boost Mobile car had a pretty – you know, solid solid race, did nothing spectacular, but one thing that was definitely there was Richie Stanaway and his pace. It's no surprise considering his history in GT racing, but it was just good mm. to see him back. I agree. Um, again, a second time at Bathurst, a second time putting in a really good performance. He's done, what, 12 hours now around the around Bathurst in the last couple of months without crashing, yeah. like, without really making any mistakes. So I think if there's ever... Uh, job a uh, uh, job interview where kind of you show what you can do with you know without making mistakes. I think he's done that, so it would be good to see him back in supercars. Based on these displays, because there really is some you know, some talent there that that you know that needs to be displayed in supercars. But one thing that I did hear from Peter Adderton today, <laughs> which was interesting, and I I'm, did you say I'm, you heard from him? I read something from him. Isn't that rare? Pardon? Isn't isn't that rare? I thought he's very sort of um, hard to get a word out of him. Oh, Pete really? Adderton. Not on social media? No. <laughs> well, technically, I pay my mobile like fee to boost, so he might be my employer if I pay him, right? <laughs> but anyway, going back to like that's a good way to look like, at it. I like listening to to Pete Adderton because he's he's in the game, but he's not afraid to speak his mind. And one thing that was True, it is. I'll, I'll give him some some credit for this. He said it's hard enough to get local sponsors to invest in this huge Australian race, and then you've got these local teams running futures and boost and you know whatever it might be. Super cheap and, auto. Super cheap auto and the distribution of, you know, screen time for the cars that were at the track was in no way consistent. Now, the argument can be made that um, obviously if you want to get more screen time, get to the front. But, excuse me, but in a race with classes um, and, you know, in such a long race, you know, a 12-hour race, there probably should have been a little bit more screen time for all of the teams. Particularly I, if there is some level of I don't, think that's, I don't think that's a real argument. 
Pardon? I, like I watched, I watched, I would say I watched eight hours of that race um, pretty consistently, probably even more, but let's say eight hours. And I think realistically, most of the cars were shown mm. for a decent amount of time. And realistically as well, one would say, number one, his car wasn't even cl- was never really close to the lead of his class, let alone the lead of the race. But people are watching the race to see the leaders of the race. If you want to have the most screen time, you spend the big dollars and put a team at the front of the grid that's going to race for an overall win. And that, that's and and as as dickheaded as that, as that might sound to someone who's sort of just a fan, mm. like I don't like when when that shit's going down with the Manta and the two AMGs, I really don't give a shit what's happening with the boost car that's coming fourth in pro am. Like, mm. And and that's the reality of it. Like that, I agree lasts. to that. Like that happened to me at Bathurst. I um I had this awesome scrap for the lead of the race, and this is actually the complete opposite. So I'm actually yeah. sort of contradicting you guys. But I had this awesome battle for the lead of the race with one of the I think it was Drew Russell, and like after everything that happened, whatever, I come into the pits half expecting like, oh, did you guys see that? Like, that was pretty cool. Like, I bet you would have been pretty stoked about that. And they're like, no, nah, we didn't see anything. Like, what yeah. do you mean? And they're like, oh, well, we saw a Suzuki Swift running around in 58th place. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, cool. So when I'm old and gray and I want to show my grandkids, you know, how good I was back in the day, um, I'm going to be able to show them like my name at the Swift. top of the leaderboard and then a Suzuki Swift running around the yeah. place. Do you know what I mean? So, and, and, and it's like, for me, that was a pretty cool moment to have mm. been having that battle with such a, an experienced race car driver in Drew Russell and, and to be fighting for the leader race, but to have nothing to show for it, really. You know? So it does go both ways. It's like you want to see everyone get their fair amount of screen time. You want to see you know, the cars that are entering, making up the numbers that are actually just happy to be there, you know, tell everyone that they're racing at Bathurst. You want to see them on the on the TV um, because it's a cool story. But at the end of the day, we want to see who's winning the race. We don't really care for anyone who's not. So uh, yeah, I, I think that's the sad reality of it is that we want to see winners and we don't really care about the losers. I don't, I don't even think it's a sad reality. I think it really is just the reality. Yeah, true. Like when, it's true. When, when, it's, when it is such a captivating race, if, if the race is done and, like, there's a leader who's, you know, a lap and a half ahead, mm. okay, there's time to have, you know, stories and show sure. different cars. You know, that's fine. But when your, your main focus is, you know, and, and, and supercars do one of the, one of the probably one of the best um, sort of TV packages in, in – international motorsport they they the way they cut the way they cut between cars and track mm. is and so seamlessly with pit as well um like without being biased is probably second is uh, is probably only bested by maybe formula 1 and then the le mans uh sort of race once a year other than that i don't think anyone does it but when quite as but good when verstappen's winning you barely see that Dude, I, you know, I go for Williams. You, you, I never fucking see those cars. <laughs> it's fine. You know, yeah, but when, when Verstappen's out front by 35 seconds, you don't see him. But you see the guys yeah. running in 10th battling. Um, yeah. They cut know, to so him it, as about to cross the line at the end. What's that, sorry? They cut to him as about to cross <laughs> yeah, exactly. the line at the end. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much that's, Red Bull's that, only exposure for the whole that's Grand Prix. A te- that's, so. a testament, that's a testament of how either how good he is or how bad the product is in terms of the midfield. Yeah. But even like touching on the Peter Addison thing, like mm. I've been a massive proponent to getting him on the grid. But I also think there comes a time, and I, I mean this in the most respectful way possible, but I think sometimes you need to shut the fuck up because – I th- it comes there, there comes a stage where you keep banging on that door so much and it stops it starts being like friendly jest and then it sort yeah. of just becomes sort of being annoying. Um, uh, look, I do have, can I, I, can do I just have be the, can I just be the devil's advocate for a second? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm what sure if can. what if he is the voice in the room that actually because a lot of a lot of people in the supercars paddock kind of play the company game, right? Mm-hmm. What if there is genuine issues to find sponsorship for this race? Sure. I'm not saying every race, but what if, you know, what if it's harder than we think to find sponsorship for this race? I can tell and, you how hard it is. And, yeah, and there are local teams that kind of 
it's not easy for them to to get no. the budget to go racing. Maybe we'd see more of them if it was easier. Um, so if what if he's just the person in the room that maybe he says it a little bit brashly, maybe he doesn't say it as politically correct as we would like. But I would I would say that for him to say it, there's probably still a, an element of truth to it. Now it's probably not going to it's um, it's probably not the greatest thing you want to see, particularly if, if you're mm. getting you know some racing towards the back end of the field. But the argument can also be made that in a 12 hour race. And we've already said that there were some lulls during the race as well. Yeah. In a 12-hour race, I mean, even just get them in when they're taking a pit stop, you know what I mean? Like, I think there would be some element of truth to what he's saying. Um, Dude, I, and, I, we, I yeah. saw that car more than enough. I don't, think, I don't think I didn't see one car on that grid enough. But, you, but we don't know. I don't, like, I don't maybe under, you I, can speak to this, Tristan. So when you do the Bathurst six-hour. Yeah. It, ballpark figure, what kind of budget do you need to cobble together? Ends, man. If you want to go win, you're, you're looking probably above 50K at least. Mm. Um, I mean, depends on, like I said, if that's for th- that was for the three of us, probably yeah. I think about 60-something K, but you're looking at going and running a, probably a, a class-winning car. You're looking somewhere about 15 to 20K. Um, and-, and, and that just you know, that gets bigger and bigger and bigger the faster the car and the better the team. So, you know, for us, I think we're looking somewhere about 60 to probably budgeting about 75K maximum. And how many people do you have to talk to to find that money? Like obviously not just people that are paying you, but people that also turn you down. So for us, man, we, uh, it kind of does hurt, but we went after a lot of big sponsors that we thought, would benefit them to get into the sport. We went after a lot of, like, we went after Super Cheap and, you know, I will admit we went after Boost Mobile. Uh, we went after Sportsbet. We went after a, quite a few of them to, um, you know, because at the end of the day, you're, you're trying to think of what companies might want to spend money in, in Australian motorsport or in motorsport in general because it's such an expensive sport. And for the most part, I mean, apart from the love and passion of it, they don't get a lot back. Mm. So you try and give back where and if you can. Um, and obviously being at the front of the field helps, you know, give your sponsors some exposure. But, you know, we were pretty lucky that we had, you know, obviously our family sponsor in Chelgrave Contracting. We had a few other local sponsors around, you know, the Gold Coast that we were able to find and and contribute to us getting onto the grid and, and you know, merchandise deals and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it all adds up. So at that level, like the Bathurst six hour or support category level, every single cent counts. Um, at the level of Bathurst 12 hour slash V8 supercars, Formula One, NASCAR, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You're talking millions and millions of dollars that you need in sponsorship per year to be able to go and race. And that's, mm. it's quite scary how people find that money because it doesn't grow on trees and not a lot of people want to spend it. You know, so the Peter Adderton thing is this guy wants to spend his money. He wants to go racing. So why doesn't supercars let him? Then there's the contradictory argument to that, that this guy's never run a race team. Mm. You know, you can't just go and, I guess, buy a team and expect to win when you've never done Super 3, you've never done Super 2, you've never done Porsche, you've never done anything prior to that apart from sponsor a racing car. So, you know, I've heard quite a bit of... I guess controversy from other team owners in supercars and and uh, just other people around the paddock that say, look, if you want to get into the supercars, go put a car in Super Two, hmm. go buy a team in Super Two, prove to us that you can win in that, then come into supercars, and you'll have you'll have you know more experience under your belt. You'll have a team that's behind you. You'll have you know, everything set up. Yeah, exactly. And how your Jews even. Like, Correct. And that's, you know, you saw MSR, they did some, I actually saw they did some GT stuff, they did some Super 2, they did the Super 3, you know, and then eventually they got into supercars. And it's like, okay, well, you know, we've got a pretty good foundation in um, Stone Brothers Racing. Now we've got, you know, our background in Super 3, Super 2, some GT racing, and now we're ready to go race supercars. So, Yeah, I think you've... 
for me, for me, it's probably the one of the one of the it it is a hard topic um, to sort of because there's two like very conflicting sides. One mm. is you know he he's willing to come in and bring a lot of money, which is really the lifeblood of the sport, unfortunately or unfortunately. But then I, I do think there's a a sort of way to go about it with you know a bit more mm. uh, tact and a bit more respect, especially when you see a team like even like Blanchard Racing, who's you know has really started from the bottom and he's, and they're building a, a, a pretty decent organization. And they've at least for the last couple of years been very vocal about getting another wreck mm. uh, to run a second car. And um, you would, you would definitely understand if they were peeved, if all of a sudden Bruce mobile gets two cars added to the sport. Now, my Blanchard didn't just a, jump into the sport. They bought it from Sydney yeah. Motorsport. He bought it from Techno. He bought but, it but from even someone like, else. Even they sponsored, they, they sponsored a car for a long time, you know, mm. for, through multiple teams before they even had their own, yeah, for sure. you know, uh, foray into it. So I understand there's there are many um, sort of facets of it that really take it probably a deep dive. And I think realistically the only way it's going to get sorted is if the teams come together at at the end of a year or something and, and have a, you know, a, a proper sit down and discuss it. Um, more for more racing to see, you know, I'm all for more wrecks. <laughs> oh, like, I, I, I don't care who it is. I just want to see more cars on the grid because it creates better racing. Hey, I, I think I want to track the series if, if it was good racing. Yeah. I think supercars has, you would. has the ability to, to run, you know, 30 cars. <laughs> um, but I would, I would say if they wanted to run 30 cars, you would need to, have a very good vetting process for which yeah. cars you let on the grid, but do more um, wildcard stuff, you know, like, well, whenever, whenever there's those big wildcard races and the grid sort of swells a bit, I think that, I think that's probably always one of the more interesting races of the year because you get like a moment like Zach best getting pole yeah, exactly. out of nowhere and, and well, you'll never get those, those super tires. Yeah. Look at where Chaz Mostert is in his career. Mm, and that right. all started so, from basically a lease deal from, um, from, DJR wasn't it? Mm, DJR, yeah. And yeah. and you look at where he is now in his career, and that was basically a wild card. They didn't call it a wild card back then, but yeah. it was essentially a wild card. You look at Zach Best. This kid's, you know, pretty much tipped to be one of the next big up and coming drivers in in the sport. Um, what's what's Zach Best doing this year? Because he's not with Tickford. I believe he's doing Super Two with another team, though. Not sure. Because Tickford released their Super Two lineup last year, and they're two. Ellie Morrow and um, Ellie Morrow and um, who was the other bloke? The Vaughn, something Vaughn. Yeah, yeah, but it wasn't Zach Best. So I was surprised. This was the that. most. This was the most seamless and unplanned transition from GT racing into Super. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try to deviate back because I need to get Harry <laughs> speaking on this bloody podcast. True, so I know. I think he tried to before. From the one man, because this poor bloke looks like he's ready to put a shotgun to the head. So. <laughs> Not, no, I, I did want to ask, what was the atmosphere like there? Like you said, there was about 53,000 people over the weekend. Yeah. What you know was the it like you know on, the on the ground? Thing about, the beautiful thing about the Bathurst 12 hour is that there, there's like, there's a lot of people there. It's, obvious, it's nowhere near as much as the Bathurst 1000. Like let's not mm. kid ourselves. Like the, the cultural like significance of the Bathurst 1000 cannot be topped by the 12 hour, but the beautiful thing about the 12 hour is that there's, it's all, everything in relation to the, you know, atmosphere of the event is always uber positive, but at the same time, it feels like a small race in mm. that there's space for you to see, like there's heaps of good vantage points. Um, it's not like the 1000 where if you get there on race day and you haven't camped there for a day and a half, you're squeezing through people to try to get a glimpse from some of the good vantage points. Mm. Whereas at 12 hour, I rocked up at 8.39 o'clock and I literally pitched a, a, a cool cabana on the last corner and there was That's more cool. than enough room for me to do it. There were people helping me do it as well because I had Jerome there too. So it's a big race. It feels, there are elements of it that make it feel like a big race, but as a spectator, um, it doesn't have the intensity or the, um, like the, I don't know, anxiety associated with the Bathurst 1000, which mm. makes it really enjoyable. Because so next year I've already made a plan. We're going to get a um, hotel room um, and watch it from the top of that hotel though. So hey, anyone who wants to come down, that we're going to do it. 
if you haven't been to that ridges, that is the coolest place to stay for a motor racing event. I know the camping is the best way to, you know, experience the really? full festivities of it. But yeah, with that ridges, standing on our balcony at like, I think it was like 6 a.m. when all those cars started going around at the six hour. And you're just looking around like, mm. damn, this is cool. You look up, you've got the, you know, the horizon coming on the um, front mountain there, which mm. is basically just reminiscing that's that mount panorama sign and it is honestly the best backdrop you can wake up to i think all right so here's 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 the plan 2024 live <laughs> podcast off the balcony of the ridges Done. um tristan's, done, flying, tristan's flying down from uh queensland i'm in um live streaming off camera let's get it done we're in let's do it that means we have to do the Gold Coast as well, the Gold Coast Supercars okay. race. Yeah, we could get a um, a nice apartment or something and uh, <laughs> backdrop onto like turn eight or something in Gold Coast. Let's do it. I'm down for that. Plans. Some plans. Well, just to bring it back, boys, because we are here to talk about motorsport. Um, Harry, let's get oh. you in. Let's bring you into this pod, mate. So introduce <laughs> yourself. What's your name? It's been a while. Um, no. Um, Idiot. One. <laughs> Some interesting news this week. Come out of... You know, last week I kind of said there was whispers that Ford might be joining. Two days later, Ford say big news coming out tomorrow. Be ready for it. Out of nowhere, and they're on a Red Bull. What do you make of it? What's your insight? Formula One says they want two more cars by 2025 as well. How does that change the conversation we had last week, which was pretty negative about the situation? I just think... Yep, Ford teaming up with Red Bull. Um, so we've got now what? Ferrari, Ford, Audi, Renault, Renault, and Mercedes. So the six engine and manufacturers. Apparently Honda, isn't it? Well, Honda will be back. And Cadillac. Apparently Honda's back. Honda will jump in and then they'll tap out, then they'll <laughs> jump back in again. If you're getting Audi as well? Uh, no, Nick, I think you I mentioned Audi. Yeah. Oh, did you? Oh. But. but let GM in. Let Andretti in. It's frustrating. Like, I don't know. Everyone's heard us talk about it, but Tristan, what are your thoughts on the whole Andretti GM yeah, thing? Yeah, well, he's the Pete Adderton of F1, isn't he? You know, so I I am, I, I said it before, more cars, the better. Um, you know, I think you've got to have the right foundations to be able to, to set up a racing team. Um, Andretti have proven through not only just recent history, but their history that they deserve to have a spot in F1 and they deserve to be a household name in F1, especially if Cadillac or I think with Cadillac with Chevrolet backing um, coming into the sport, that's that's a lot of money to be able to throw around basically um, at their disposal. I'm all for it, man. I, I just want better racing. At the moment, mm-hmm. F1's hit this sort of lull where I know... It's pretty much what supercars was, who's going to win, you know, and, and I want to just see people just bang doors, bang side pods, go wheel to wheel, you know, race for the ultimate prize of being world champion. And I think the more cars, the better, um, more American teams, you know, clearly this drive to survive has worked for America because we're starting to see a lot of American uh, sponsored teams, um, American you know, interest and obviously now teams wanting to join from America. I think it's unreal. I, get, I, think, um, I think it's what F1's been missing for quite some time is the American money. I guess that's that's true. That's definitely true. But the product on track last year would suggest that, and we spoke about this last week, how long are those fans going to hang around if the product on the track isn't great? And uh, Anthony and I were talking today, and what you say? You, you're giving it four races this year? I'm giving it four races to before I make any predictions. Yeah, but yeah I also enough. said I wouldn't be surprised if next year I die to Formula One. You just said you'll watch tractors go around a track, so I, I don't believe that part. But why? Yeah, I said if it's why is that? Why are you giving I said up it's, if it's com- No, I don't know. Because I'm I've been the, a Formula One fan for the longest time, but I feel like I feel like it's disheartening when a lot of other motorsports around mm. are seeing glaring issues and rectifying them. And F1's I mean, not. GT3, V8 supercars, even though it's taken them three years to, to figure it out. Well, well that's um, still TBC if that's rectified some of the issues. 
Yeah, yeah. well, exactly. It, 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 but yeah, at least at the very least, there is, I don't know, intelligence in the design, if that makes sense. Like it yeah. seems like what they've said they're going to do at the very least makes sense. Whereas Formula One, like, I don't know, I just feel like there's still too many, you know, cooks in the kitchen. I feel like in the absence of making the best decisions for the sport, you've got these people that are still thinking about the bottom dollar. Mm-hmm. But one thing that does interest me, and I think it's really good for the sport, is this. If for, um, F1 has greenlit Ford's return to the sport, then I can't imagine them not seeing the benefit of having Cadillac as well. Well, he's, he's really the GM he's, Ford rival. What were you going to say, H? I was just going to offer some a little bit of pushback to Anthony's point on the product, and, and I understand where you're coming from. And I agree, last year was pretty poor in terms of one car dominating everyone. But it was the first year of new regs. And we saw in the last set of regulations, as it progressed through, the cars slowly caught up. Mercedes was still dominant, but the midfield battle was pretty epic for the last three or four years within those regulations. So, you know, you know, what's interesting before the regulations, the last, um, yeah, before the, the previous regulation, the last big change in 2009, I think it was, we saw 10 different winners in the first 10 rounds. And I understand that the end, like by that time, engine development was, you know, full beans for all teams. So they kind of all had, you know, I think it might've been 10 years of that particular engine system mm. or something to that effect. But and that's why I said, I don't really want to make any uh, determinations about it until round four, because either you're going to see Red Bull picking up where they left off, hopefully. And it looks like Mercedes are going to close the gap, but my biggest concern is the other teams. Uh, and I need to see what the cost cap does to bring the field back together. I'm not going to let anybody. I'm not going to let anybody rain on my Formula One parade today because Williams is releasing their car tonight, right? In a couple of hours, we're releasing our livery, the most hopeful date of my hopeful hopefield day of my season. Um, so no one's going to shit on talk about talk about a car that could use some boost delivery. Maybe the maybe the Williams could could get on board with Peter Adderton. Hey Joseph, I just wanted to ask, what's your um? Like undying loyalty to Williams, is it nostalgia? 100%. No, it's just it's it's yeah, it's definitely nostalgia. But it's more just like um, with all my sports teams, when I make a bad decision to follow a shit sport team, there's <laughs> yeah, an undying there is an undying commitment to that team until they go bust. So That's I've been me, telling man. Anthony, I swear to God, if Williams don't get their shit together, I don't want them to get sold. I just want them to go bust. Dude. So when they I can't tell you, bro. I go for the Brisbane Lions, North Queensland Cowboys, Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> um, I go for the Heat. I go for, I don't know. I could keep going so on and on in, and on. You, Pretty much every team that I go for just fall short. <laughs> and you we'll never change, but, but you never change. And that has to be respected. True, fair I feel enough. Like, I, feel like in the, I feel like one thing that is lost in the modern, and this is not even motorsport anymore. This is just life. I feel like these young fans in anything... <laughs> Yeah, they just follow, forward, man. They follow people, and they follow for yeah. a while, and they change to whoever is the the next He's winning at the time. Bandwagon, but you, but you know, but you know I've, I've come to realize as well. Irks me. Life is too short to sell your soul to a exactly. team who doesn't give a fuck about your feelings. All right. Now, that, that, <laughs> now realistically, we're the we're the idiots who don't even who don't even notice this for way too long. Yeah, These fair. young kids are just like you know what? I'm gonna live my life. I'm going to buy <laughs> six jerseys. I'm going to go for Messi at, at, at PSG. I'm going to go for Tom Brady because, he, you know, he, he, um, they're like stock investors. If, if, they're not getting a, if they're not getting a return, they just jump ship. But the elation know, so that they their, feel, but the elation that they feel. The elation that I feel when Williams is nothing like you. It's nothing nah. like you would feel when George Russell got a podium. Dude. Yeah, 100%, man, 100%. Spark, 100%. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like 100%, man. On, on, on the three-lap race. I'm, I'm a perfect – I'm a perfect – tell him, Harry. I'm a hardcore Walkinshaw fan, and the the only thing I remember from my wedding day was that Walkinshaw, while I wasn't watching it, won their first race in like six or seven years. And yeah. someone saying to me, Scott Pye won at Albert Park, and I said, get fucked. And he goes, yeah. <laughs> 
And then I had to go and pretend that to go to the bathroom to watch the highlights at my own Oh, wedding. no way, on your wedding. <laughs> well, actually, I was going to mention that because I was on Facebook just before this and and I saw a walk short post. I think it was a, like a little sneak peek of Chaz sitting in the Mustang. And some of the bigotry comments that I read on there, I'm just like, these fans don't actually understand their history of the sport. Tom Walkinshaw used to drive a bloody Ford. <laughs> I want to see this now. What did they? But you oh, know, I, will, it, I, will, it, I will say this though. I will say. And I this. just found it so funny. I feel like as the team, Walkinshaw is going to have a very difficult year because you reckon the the legacy that they've created in terms of the Holden name, and and we we said it last year, they haven't been the Holden Racing team by name for a long time, but Triple mm. Eight have have never had the backing you know since since the since the changeover that walk and shore you know had even when they were doing shit you know they were doing like finishing 16th and 17th in at the top end and i remember you know for a couple of years and the fans still you know followed them i think it's because realistically it wasn't about their results it was sort of like a way of life if you you know if you had a holden or if your family had a hold in, yeah, for in, sure, the, man. in the 70s. That's what it was. We're a long way past that. Like these cars aren't even reminiscent of a Ford Mustang or a Chevrolet Camaro. So don't say that, man. We've just come back to that. We have to be I think, positive no, but about I, the change. I'm saying in it in a positive way, like the sport isn't what it used to be. It's not win on Sunday, sell on Monday. They're mm. a purpose-built race car. They're, you know, designed in a factory. Everyone's... And for the most part, got the same equipment, um, you know, and and the cars themselves aren't reminiscent on what's on the road. So this whole Goliath battle of, you know, I go for Ford or I go for Hold and I see blue, I, I see red. It's just, it's sort of like old school and it's good for the sport because it creates rivalry, but it also isn't necessary right now because it's like mm. this whole thing with with what, what Walkinshaw are going for them. Everyone's going, oh, like, how can you guys trade on us? And, you know, unbelievable, like, we won't go for you. And it's like, you don't actually realize that their heritage started out with Ford. You know, Tom Walkinshaw used to race a Ford, and this is a comment that I made before. And it's like, people are just so oblivious to history that they have to attack what's happening right now. It's like, you know, Walkinshaw... Couldn't get factory backing with GM, from what I've heard. I don't know if that's 100% accurate, but Ford were offering them factory backing. So, you know, for a racing team, they're not going to deny that money. We've spoken already about how hard it is to get. So when when Ford offer their NASCAR support, their touring car support around the world, their GT support, and they're giving them factory backing, why would they not take that? <laughs> the beautiful so, thing is with the young fans of the world, if they start winning, They'll jump on board. Yeah, exactly. And that's, and that's and that's 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 it. You know, I think. And and they're Walking missing the bigger picture. The bigger yeah, and picture I think, is you know the you Mustang know is a much better looking car as well. So, 100%. But you know what? I'll say be- this. I'll say this. I'm not, I'm not a fan of the Mustang with the chrome rims. Yeah, I mean, I mean black it out. I'm, I'm black it I'm, out. Who are you going I've for, always, H? He's a walkie. Yeah, walking yeah. short, mate. My man. I mean, I don't go for a team, man. I, I honestly struggle. No, don't, be like, don't be like that. I bleed blue. I bleed blue. So I'm a, I'm, I'm a, I like Chaz. I mean, my old my, man my... grew up. He raced Holdens. He raced Ford. So I can't actually say like, oh, I don't like Holdens. I don't like Ford. It's like, well, he did both. But for me, I like my Fords. And I'm glad to see Chaz, who's one of my good mates and who I support in Supercar. Back in a Ford, so I guess I'll go for I'll go for walking short. How's that? My um, my yeah, that's good. I, I, I don't like. <laughs> this, I don't this like is people jumping on. Guys, bullshit right here, boys. I, I don't like people. Oh, don't do that. Don't <laughs> diversify. Now listen, listen. You got tick said you here, right? I said this to Harry last year. I don't like people jumping on this walking short train now that we're having some success. You know, no, let's true. Let's have a, I've always know, been like, on a walking short train. I just never admitted it. I don't think I was hate to say from back in the day, mate. The funny thing, the funniest thing I saw this week was my brother caused a bit of a storm on the um, Dick Johnson racing page. Oh, really? Because they put, <laughs> a, they put, a, they put up a teaser <laughs> picture of the livery of the car, and he said something like, "Please tell me that this livery has changed for the first time in five years or, or six mm-hmm. years or something like that." And then, um, and then someone Some person commented, commented, "Why would you change something that's perfect?" And then the DJR yeah, and, and, factory team liked, liked his comment. Oh no, you got burned, bro. <laughs> 
so, so my brother sent me, a, he sent us a message saying, just had confirmation that the livery is not changing this year. So how'd you get that? He got, and he showed me the comments. Like, yeah. oh, you're, you're, the you're sad screwed. thing is that bloody Bathurst livery that they ran, the old red, like the, oh, yeah, the, that was the, cool. the, the um, rainbow show that they had. Mm. Man, I would love to see that on the car again. And, uh, I'm, I, Could you just control, copy, and paste that onto Red Bull F1's um, livery release? Yeah. Oh, you pretty much could. <laughs> Dude, that was so awkward when they released that. They're all just looking at it like, oh, so it's the exact same car. Cool. Yeah. And like, what do we talk about? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a good point. And wait for Tickford, no mate. Wait for wait for the monster car. That's monster yeah, car to be the same. It's not going to change a whole lot. Luckily, last year they nah. put the chicane tools on the back end of it, so it kind of <laughs> gave it a little bit of difference. But <laughs> nah. You know what, boys? Ah, uh, that's true. This was a good pod. Yeah, I think, I think we'll leave it there. But the key takeaways have to be Bathurst twelve hours back and back in a big way. That's good for Australian motorsport. Formula One. We'll wait and see, but hopefully it's back. Nah, it should be right. And and we've got some walk and show bias for the rest of the year. Hey, so. come on. So dude, there's no such thing as bias. We haven't won the championship yet. Yeah. Don't you know, hate, appreciate. Got, it's true. Yeah. It's true. Okay, we're, fair we're, enough. But you know, I'm 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 actually looking forward to seeing what Walk and Show do this year. Like all, all jokes aside, they've been trending in the right direction. They're in a position now where everybody's got equal machinery and they're kind of not having to chase to catch up to, you know, the Obviously, I think Harry just smiled for the team. first time tonight. I'd I'd love to see <laughs> Chaz, Gizzy, and Cam go head to head three way battle. Yeah, but yeah. I think it'd be just Cam year, first because Australia's number one driver. You know, I would you know, I'd love to see. I would love to see. You remember that pod from in. last year I when do. you guys lost it? I do. You no, said I'd, that I'd he was the best driver in the world. I think at one point, yeah, which some, I mean, look, shit, he's man. a fantastic driver, but. I, I think I said Australia, not the world. I wouldn't say the oh, world. Oh, I, I don't know. We might have to no. wind back. I think you if said you're the world. You might have to find that pod. And, Best uh, Australian driver in the world, I think it was. Yeah, that's what you I said, think mate. we need Australian to go VAR, boys. We've got to go video, video <laughs> replay. All I want to say is before we go, with the now that we've transitioned to supercars. Um, like 15 minutes ago. Uh, yeah, I would love to, I would love to see Walkinshaw come in and win the championship in a Ford, be the best Ford team on the grid. Let's do it. Chaz, I'm putting money on you now. Yeah, come on, Chaz. All it would mean is that um, Ford just needed to bring in a holding team to you know to finally get the job done, you know. Um, mm. So it's I think it's going to be a good year. Hey, hey, boys, you know what we didn't mention? Tell us. Tell me. Valentino Rossi. Oh, Ooh. we actually didn't even mention it, man. You know, doctor on the mountain. That speaks volumes about how good the race was. Dude, you got fifty four thousand people there. They ain't there to see Chaz Mostert. They're there to see Valentino Rossi. Yeah, I'll say this to you. I went through the pits about ten o'clock in the morning, and by then all the posters were gone. There was not, literally nothing left to get from any other teams because it was, it was good. Obviously, people were in the pit lanes. All the other pit lanes behind them were pretty empty. The WRT I'm... pit lane had literally a posse behind it of so... Valentino Rossi groupies, and they were just waiting for yeah, a man. I the man. I said to my partner, like, I, I was overwhelmed watching it because I said to my partner, um, when we were at Bathurst Six Hour, we had, um, I think at one point, like, Will Davidson. Um, uh, we, uh, we actually, the year before, we had Will Davidson, we had Shane Van Gisbergen, I think maybe Brock or someone was, uh, there was a few of them Deep dialing Squally around was our racing too, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, there was a few of them dialing around our pits because that's where, like, most of the supercar drivers were hanging around or whatever. And like there was a bit of a fan, like mm. bit of a congregation going on there. And I said to Hannah, like, you saw what you saw at Bathurst last year. And like, look at that. And he, mm. she goes, Holy shit, that's insane. <laughs> like that many people just wanting to see this guy in the same room as them. That's just mm. unbelievable. That guy is honestly God. <laughs> My dad he's was like be, almost in tears and he doesn't fanboy over anyone. He's got to be one of the two, like him and Michael Schumacher mm. would have to be the, the biggest sporting icons of our generation. Well, and you, he, had, he, you had Mick Dewan, a pit across from him, who is probably the second or third best argumentative, argumentatively motorbike rider of all time. Yeah. Who is just like in awe of this guy who's mm. in the garage next to him and mm. going, but like, also- how good is this for the sport? But also didn't even really get half the fanfare that 
And nah. I suppose I, th- I think it's because we see him so much on. We're TV desensitized to Mick doing now. He's yeah, like he's yeah, he's he's everywhere where Jack is. That's it. Yeah. My mum, my mum bought me a uh, got me a Mick Doohan shirt, uh, and it had all these championship like years on it. Mm. And I said, I said, did Mick Doohan win this many championships? <laughs> to my dad. <laughs> yeah, I used to get that a lot. Like people me telling me stories too. about like Mick Doohan, like oh, I met him and I met him, and I'm like, oh yeah, cool. I used to see him like. Every weekend at the car track, like whatever. What are you talking about? Like, hey Tristan, I've got two. I've got two jobs for you, mate. Yes. If it's IndyCar, no, no. Oh, actually, you didn't even watch it last year, did you? Get on it. Dude. Mate. <laughs> it's not. I'll say the same thing. Get on it. No, my two things for you are: number one, try to get Chaz on the pod. Okay. <laughs> number two, get Mick Dillon. Oh. Mick hey, Chaz, Dillon. if you're listening, get on the pod. Hey, Mick, if you're listening, get on the pod. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll, look, I'll do my best, boys. I mean, yeah, definitely try with Chaz. I know Chaz quite well, so I'll see if he's got um got some time to kill. All right, Maybe uh, we can think... smack down a few Bundys and yeah, have a real Bundy chat. Col- eh? Maybe we can get a Bundy Cola sponsorship. Oh, sorry, I mean pod. Woodstock. He drinks Woodstock. Woodstock, yeah. Oh, that's Woodstock right. Yeah, that's right. Maybe, maybe, we've, just, maybe we've just lost it. <laughs> <laughs> no, we could, we'll edit that out. Yeah, Woodstock, please. No. Woodstock yo, yo, actually, if 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 um Tristan does get Chaz on the pod, we all have to wear Bundy shirts though. Uh, Woodstock. No, Bundy. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, dude, I'll definitely anywhere, do what bro. I can, man. I'll I'll uh, I'll reach out to him. Um and again, if you are listening, Chaz, if you're a fan of the Racing Line podcast, make sure <laughs> you you hit the boys up, hit me up. Let's make it happen. If you're one of those three hundred listeners, Chaz. You are very much impressed. All right, boys. Uh, We'll we'll try and make it happen, boys. I'll uh, reach out to a few of my mates as well and and see what we can make. Sounds good. Let's do it. Sounds awesome. All right, man. That's an hour. Awesome, boys. Thanks so much for having me on. Thanks, Tristan. It's always good. It's always good getting uh, a different perspective. Yeah. Um, Someone with like you've always got good energy. Whenever you come on our pod, you bring good energy, and we're always you know we always get off the pod saying you know this guy you know he's a keeper. So we always That's appreciate right. when you when you're. I able want to make to a quick on. shout out to my boy Harry. I keep cutting him off. I think every single time he's gone to speak tonight, I just keep keep stealing his uh, mic time. So we'll make up for that next time, eh? Ah, uh, you're the That's guest, right. mate. <laughs> you know what? He he could have had more mic time, but he did, he decided not to watch the race. So true. That's a good point, man. So hey. <laughs> Oh, thanks, boys. Cheers. Keen for is. the next time, eh? <laughs> See you guys. All right, man. Have a good one. There you and guys. for all the fans out there, hope you enjoyed another episode of the Racing Life podcast. As usual, please like, please subscribe, please share, and have a delicious Bundy and Coke. And if have you know one. Chaz Mostert, reach out and get him on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Give Tristan a break. <laughs> thanks, boys. See you guys.